The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 7200. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Do you ever wonder how a family business can survive or thrive given all the personalities and the difficulties of working with family members? Or how about even make it to the second generation, which is not common? But what about, wait for this one, the third generation. Imagine a family business surviving three generations. To describe that experience, Ryan Cote. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, Joel. Happy to be here. Thank you. I know that the family business thing isn't your specialty, but it is a remarkable accomplishment that your family has somehow managed to put a, a great and successful business together, which has lasted for a long time. Yes, since 1966. So somebody must be really good at getting everybody to get along. Who is it? Who's the, is it a grandma? Is it a grandpa? I mean, who is the person that, that is, that's the glue that holds the place together? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think it, it really started. So my great uncle started the company in 66 and my grandfather joined two years later and they just made it a thing where everyone has to get along or if there are issues, solve them fast. And my father and uncle have just continued that trend. I mean, my father retired two years ago, but it was always a thing where, you know, if there were issues, they were solved fast. Uh, they never were let to just stew and grow into something that became toxic. And so I think it, it's like leadership, you know, starts from the top. I think, you know, it started with my great uncle and my father, uh, my great uncle and my grandfather, you know, they started and my father and my uncle kept it going. And now me and my brother's um, you know, we're trying to keep it going as well. Not that we don't have issues. I'm not saying there aren't, aren't any issues with the family, but what comes up is solved, uh, is, is addressed immediately. And uh, I think that's helped a lot. You know, the thing is that, uh, you know, every business, uh, whether they're family or friends or uh, whoever they are, they all say, okay, we're going to communicate really well and we're going to talk and we're going to have contracts and we're going to have everything be great. And then things just usually don't end up that great. So something must be different about your family because your great uncle and uncle, they didn't just have a conversation uh, 53 years ago and, and everything is great now. I mean, you must have to revisit that conversation all the time 
in order for this to work. I mean, so what is the dynamic? What does it look like? I mean, that's because uh, it's really unusual. Yeah, I mean, I think if if because I guess I get asked this a lot. I think it's you know we we the personalities we have they're you know we're not confrontational. There's no egos here, and I think that helps. I think that helps a lot just to keep the general culture here. I guess the word I want to use is kind. I don't know. It sounds, it sounds kind of silly, but um, you know, we don't have egos and there's just no, there's, there is conflict, but it's, it's not like it escalates to something that's major. You know, we all have our opinions. We all have our set roles here. And I think that helps a lot to just keep everything moving smoothly. Do you guys bring the business uh, to Thanksgiving dinner? Do you bring it to Christmas? I mean, I mean, or, or, or do you have a really well-defined Chinese wall that, that keeps <laughs> over here and that over there? No, we talk. I mean, we talk about it. I mean, I was actually at the beach this weekend uh, with my brothers, my uncle, and we were talking about it a little bit. You know, it's because what we live. It's it's our it's our it's it consumes the majority of our time. So we're always talking about things we could do here for culture, for the team team members, uh, new services that we can offer. Um, I wouldn't say it consumes the time. There definitely is some separation, but yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit here and there. Um, I think you kind of have to. It has to be it has to be top of mind for us because there are so many things that are changing, especially in the marketing world. And it's new for us here too, is that we have the digital side of the business, which we started five years ago. And so we're naturally getting younger, younger team members. And for them, culture is very important. Not that it's not important for other, for the older people, but culture is very, very important. And there's, there's, there's a lot that needs to be done for that. And so we're always trying to think of new ideas. So let's shift gears into what your business is. You guys are a printing business. I mean, this is one of the old fashioned businesses. Uh, many of these companies have not been successful transitioning and surviving. Right. So tell us about your business and what is it that you guys did to, to transition into a modern economy? Yeah, that's a good question. So yeah, we started doing direct mail. So 1966, obviously the internet was not then was not around then, and uh, we used to print for some pretty big names like Columbia House, uh, AOL. If you remember those disk mailers, used to get. We used to do all those, and so we we did that. We still do a ton of direct mail. It's still a major part of our business. And about five years ago, I came to my uncle and my and my uh, my father and said, you know, because digital is my background. So I said, let's start doing digital for for our clients. It started out just search engine optimization. Now we have a whole team for for every traditional strategy you can think of: SEO, content, social media, etc. Um, and so what we did was we started doing just uh, search engine optimization for clients. And honestly, Joel, it started out very small for the first two years of the business, the digital side of the business. It wasn't all that exciting. It wasn't a huge part of the revenue. And then my brother Scott joined the business in 2015, I think it was, and that's when things started to really gel because I had someone to collaborate with, brainstorm with. We started getting bigger clients, which enables to actually hire people, which was pretty exciting. And so for us, it was sort of, you know, maybe it wasn't the exciting way, but it was sort of slow and steady. We just slowly started getting more clients, adding more services. And what we try to practice here is like, what's the saying, Kaizen, you know, steady improvement every year. Every year, we're trying to make our services a little bit better, the way we treat clients a little bit better, the services that we offer, the way we uh, treat culture here. We try to get a little bit better every year. And that's the way we, that we built the digital business. Let's, um, let's see, if we go back to the history. Are, are you familiar with your company's history? I mean, do you know uh, what, what happened? Like, you know, in the nineties when fax really became a thing, hmm. uh, printing kind of started going by the wayside, the, the old philosophy. And I know this cause I was in the fax business. I was one of the people who was uh, attacking and trying to, you know, damage guys like you, we are competing against guys like you. 
I mean, not you personally, but, but that's, that's just the way it was. Um, and the old model was always print and distribute. And the new model was becoming distribute and print. And so it knocked the printers, uh, you know, out and it didn't eliminate the need for them, but it certainly reduced it. So how is it that you guys were one of the survivors? Cause most of the guys who were competitors of yours must be gone. I mean, I, I think what might be a little bit different about us on the print side is that we're, we're, essentially brokers. We're, we're a production company. We're just bodies and computers here. We don't own equipment. We have a network of vendors that we use mostly in the Midwest uh, printing plants. And so we, we, you know, we give them business and they print the work for us. And so we have low overhead. So we actually, we actually used to own equipment in the mid eighties, but it just didn't work out. So we stuck to being just brokers. Um, but that's, you know, we, we keep our overhead low and we have a network of about 25 uh, printing plants. And so depending on what the client needs, we can kind of pivot and be flexible. And you're right. Printing's definitely changed. I mean, back in the eighties and nineties, it was huge volume campaigns. Uh, and now it's smaller campaigns, just more personalized. And we've just, we've just adapted to the market and, you know, we still have, you know, some of our industries that we where we're big in is like nonprofits travel. And those are still industries that do a lot of mail they need to. And so we've just, you know, we focus more on the markets, the verticals that, tend to use more direct mail and need a lot of it. And so uh, I think those I think that's contributed to being able to survive. And we're just, a very, we're a very strong sales organization. It's like, you know, and that's really been my father. He's, he's like a hardcore salesperson. And so he's just like selling every day. You know, you always have to keep your pipeline full, taking care of clients, trying to get referrals. And that's just been ingrained on us every day. We're looking for new opportunities and taking care of clients. And I think that mindset has helped as well. Yeah. You know, listen, well, I, I want to talk about that sales uh, culture because that's so very important, but the, the most important thing that I just heard you say is that uh, you're not really in the commodity side of printing. The value that you add is in the production of the content. So yes. are you guys creating the com- the campaigns for your clients too? We are now that that was a service we added in the nineties, uh, nineties, early two thousands. We started doing more and more creative. I would say it's not a huge service for us, but we always have creative going on copy design. Um, but I think you're right though. I think it's, I think it is the value add is the production because typically the clients that we're working with, it's not your commodity printing like letterhead or something like that. It's complex packages, complex self mailers, uh, you know, highly personalized pieces, very complicated campaigns and so, you know, clients need us because we make that process simple for them. They don't have to deal with the plans. They don't really even need to know all that much how to do it because we're going to handle it for them. Especially now, because I feel like, you know, marketers, they're not being taught as much direct mail. And so we essentially, if we're working with like a startup, um, they lean on us for our expertise because they just, they're not being taught it. And so we kind of take, hold their hand and get the campaign produced for them. So I think you're right. I think it's the production side, being able to handle complex campaigns and make it simple for our clients and not be in the commodity business. I think that's helped a lot as well. You know, it'd be interesting to, uh, to ask, uh, you know, your, uh, your dad, your uncle, you know, if there's older people that are, uh, that are from the earlier days, uh, what they remember about the eighties and nineties, did they deliberately go away from printing presses and deliberately go into the production because they perceived that that's where the value was. And that was the part that wasn't going to be commoditized or, or was there something well, else going on? Do you know? Yeah. So I, I've been here for 16 years, so I don't go back that far, but um, I, I, you know, the, we were always, we've always been brokers. So even back in the 
mid sixties were always brokers. The actual, the printing, the printing plant that I mentioned was that was an investment. It was an experiment. Let's see if we can, you know, add additional revenue streaming and purchase, purchase some equipment. It just didn't work out. Cause the problem, the, the, the problem with having equipment is that, you know, you're a slave to what that piece of equipment can produce, you know, being that we're brokers, it, you know, it doesn't, we'll have a plant that could do the job. We don't have to specifically produce a certain kind of piece and that that's offered us a, offered us a level of flexibility that's helped us endure these last 50 plus years. Well, yeah, not only that, it, um, I mean, you guys ended up moving in exactly the right direction because the, the creativity and the labor is the part that can't be easily replaced. And that's where all the value is. It's not in the machine that does, that puts the ink on the paper. Right. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's the expertise and knowing how to produce a job. And, you know, like I mentioned, we added creative in the nineties, early two thousands. Um, uh, we added letter shop in the nineties as well. Letter shop meaning mailing. So we used to just do, I think there's a lesson here too. It's the evolution of the business, always looking for what clients are requesting where the business is going. So we started off just doing printing, and then we added printing and mailing. We never wanted to get into the mailing because it's just very complicated and there's not a whole lot of money in it, but you have to, you have to do it. So printing, mailing, and then creative. Okay. And now we added digital. So we've just slowly have evolved the business, you know, and we do a lot of digital right now, but printing is still a major part of our business. So it, I know everyone says printing is dead, but it's just changed. It's not dead. We still do, still do a ton of it. There's a, there's a lot of companies that produce, um, physical materials. And the other thing is if you're doing the production, uh, you can output the PDF anyway, cause you, cause you're, cause you're, that's not your main revenue stream. I mean, so right. it doesn't really matter what you output to, right? Right. Correct. So you can output to a website, output to PDF, output to whatever, it doesn't matter. So your, your main thing is the digital side. Uh, what I mean, kinds of campaigns are you running? What kinds of companies you're working with? Yeah. So I personally oversee the digital division doing sales and what have you for the digital side. Um, so our typical clients uh, on the direct mail side, we work with huge companies on the digital side. It's completely different It's small business owners. I wouldn't say solopreneurs, but you know, 10 to 40 employees, uh, we, we essentially become their marketing department, their digital marketing department. And so we're doing the, the stuff that really fires me up. The clients that when we get, it really, it really lights me up are the ones that are using our whole team. I love seeing the whole, cl- whole team engage on a client. So we're doing social media content for them, uh, search engine optimization, pay-per-click advertising, uh, managing their website. So they're just using our whole team and it's different specialists for each service. So the whole team gets, gets together on the client and, uh, provides the different services for them. That's what gets me going. Well, listen, I just, I just can't help but think that, uh, you guys made some very critical decisions, uh, over the last 30 years. Uh, that have gone your way. I mean, so very, very insightful. Uh, clearly, you got some sharp people there. So, uh, so let's. So, since your thing is is really digital marketing, let's let's spend some time talking about digital marketing. Sure. What are some of the trends going forward in digital marketing that that listeners need to pay attention to? Because that that world is moving very fast. Right. Yeah. Definitely moving fast. You know, what comes to mind with that question is you can't rely on just one channel. So like I mentioned, when we first started the digital vision, digital division, we kind of tipped, dipped our toes in by just doing SEO. We still do a lot of SEO, but it's changing a lot and you can't rely on just one channel. <clears throat> so we see the best results when a client is, is using a multi-channel approach. So they're on social media, they're doing SEO, they're doing paid advertising. You can't just rely on one channel. Um, you know, and, and honestly, they all kind of feed off each other. So 
you know, if you're, if you're doing SEO and paid advertising and you're doing content, you want to use for, if you want, if you're doing content marketing, you're putting on social media, you want to do paid advertising to amplify the content. Facebook, for example, you can't just post, you have to, you have to spend money behind the ads. And so it's really just being on multiple channels. Okay. And taking advantage of, of what each channel offers and developing, developing a whole campaign that's going to kind of lift everything. That's what we're seeing produce the best results for sure. You know, let's talk about SEO for a second. Uh, you know, has SEO changed in the last, say, 10 years? I don't know how long it's been going, but it's been for a long time. I always kind of had the sense that it was one of these um, things that was cooked up by computer marketers to, you know, just get business owners to pay them money to do something. And then Google would change the algorithm. It, it just it just sort of always seemed like a kind of like a game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it, cause it's always changing. You know, it's everyone, Google makes so many updates every year and uh, it's almost like every day they're making little tweaks and sometimes they'll make bigger tweaks, but it's definitely, it definitely works. It just, it's just, it's changing all the time. And so back in the day, back in like 2012, 11, 10, 10, 11, 12, it was really just ba- building backlinks to your website. It didn't matter how crappy they were, how much you were building, just more, more backlinks, the better, and you would rank. And honestly, it was very easy. Um, nowadays, it's a, you have to take a much more holistic approach. So link building, getting other sites to link back to your website, still a major ranking factor, but you have to look at other things too. So is your site mobile friendly? Is it loading fast? What is the user experience on the website? Because if Google sees everyone bouncing back and forth, they know that it's not a good website. Um, how technically sound is your website? Meaning, you know, broken links, no duplicate content, are your URLs secure? And then even the on-page optimization. Back when I, when I started doing SEO, what's called on-page optimization, which means making sure that keywords are present on the site. It was kind of like an afterthought. You did it if you wanted to just kind of check off all the boxes, but honestly, it didn't really matter all that much. And now, to me at least, it's equally as important as the link building. You want to just attack, attack uh, SEO from different angles, from, from the links, on-page optimization, and then making sure that your site is technically sound, uh, user experience, no, nothing broken, nothing duplicated. It's just become much more complicated, Joel, to be honest with you. I mean, is this something that, uh, you know, it's like set it and forget it? Or are you guys in, like in there working on this stuff every single day for clients? It's, it's not a set and forget it. We're working on the, cl- on the client's website every month. It depends, of course, how big the site is. If it's like a simple five-page website, it might be heavy on the on-page optimization in the beginning. And then we'll just transition solely to link building and content creation. Um, but if it's a large website, you know, we're just chipping away at it every month. And so it just depends on the client site. But yeah, for us, it's, SEO is always a monthly thing because there's always something we could be doing. There's always more content we, we can be creating, more links we can be building, more pages that we can tweak. So it's, it, it is ongoing. Our, um, when, when you, you know, get involved with these companies, uh, do you have any way to know how much difference it makes when you do SEO versus when you do not do it? Is there, is there like any statistic that business owners could look at and say that I'm going to be five times better off. So it's worth investing. I always talk about drawing a line to the money. I mean, is there a way to really calculate how many dollars you spend and how much dollars you get back? Or is it totally random or what? Um, It is sort of random, but I'm trying to think of a way that I could, you know, one thing we do is we get a client, we can, we can look at their competitors. Um, There's a tool called this is not a plug. I'm not affiliated with them. This is just what we happen to use. And I'll give you a free option as well. There's a tool called SCM rush. You can plug in the domain of yourself or your competitors, and you can see how much, how many keywords are ranking for and what the estimated cost of that traffic is. 
um, on pay-per-click. So you know if like you're ranking for more keywords organically, this is what you might expect to pay if you were bidding on those keywords and paid advertising. And so it gives you, a, it gives you a, an estimate of how valuable that traffic is. And so you can take a look at your website and then you can plug in a competitors and see, okay, how many more keywords is your competitor ranking for? How much higher value is their traffic costing if they were to bid on those keywords? And so it kind of gives you a sense as to what you, you can expect in terms of traffic levels and that cost of that traffic, you know, estimated cost of that traffic. That is a paid tool. If you want to do a free tool, there's another one called Ubersuggest. There's pros and cons. Ubersuggest, they only update monthly, whereas SCM Rush is, is daily. So, but you know, you're not paying for it. So, um, but that's what I would say. Take a look at your, your competitors and see where they're ranking and what their cost of traffic is. And that can give you a sense as to what an SEO campaign will do for you. I would also say if your site's new, adjust those expectations because new domains do not rank as quickly, do not rank as well as older domains. And so if you're, for me personally, Joel, like if we're taking on a new SEO client and they have a very aged domain and a business that's been around for a while, but they haven't done any SEO, that excites me because I know that we're going to be able to show them quicker wins as opposed to like a startup or a site that's brand new. It just takes longer. There's some sort of sandbox effect that Google does when, with a new domain. They don't trust it as quickly. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your, um, your sales process. How do you prospect for new customers? You got a sales culture at your place. Tell us what you do. Yeah. I'd uh, love to talk about that. So we, um, kind of like what I mentioned about the, the digital marketing, not relying on one channel. We don't just rely on one channel for, for, for sales. So we do everything from trade shows to cold emailing, believe it or not. Obviously we get web leads. Um, we do our own digital marketing here that generates leads. We have my cousin, my cousin Josh, he who's he was hired about six or no, nine months ago to do strictly sales. So he'll do outbound sales, you know, uh, calling people up and emailing them as well. Uh, what else do we do? I think those are the main, I do podcast interviews. So we don't rely on just one channel. Um, we're trying to get leads from all different channels. We have strategic partnerships as well with companies that, that feed us leads. So we have leads coming from multiple channels. I think what makes our approach slightly different is that we don't do proposals for just anyone. We try to make sure there's a, we think there's a good fit. We think we have a good chance of getting the business. And then what we do is we spend a lot of time on our proposals. So our proposals are not cookie cutter, cookie cutter documents. We spend a good amount of time putting them together. It's basically our strategy. Like here's what we recommend that you do. And you know, it's like a 20, 25 page PowerPoint deck. And we actually put a lot of time into mocking up ads for them and, you know, that's why we don't want to do them for just anyone because it's, it can be a time suck if you're not, you know, if you're doing them for the wrong people. So that gives us an advantage because when we're presenting to people, they could tell the time that we put into these things and it just helps win the business. I, I guess kind of what I'm uh, curious about is how much of your own dog food do you eat? You know, do you guys <laughs> uh, do a lot of SEO on your own stuff? Do you, yeah. the same techniques that you sell other people. Are you doing that to yourself? We do. The only thing we don't really do is I'll, I'll be candid here. Uh, we do SEO, we do paid ad advertising, we do social media, we do all, all the digital stuff. You, we basically treat Ballantyne as a client. Um, the only thing we don't do is direct mail. I mean, we kind of do, we send out sample kits, we send out handwritten thank you cards. So that is technically direct mail. We just don't do high volume direct mail campaigns um, for our own marketing. We do more smaller volume, more personalized lumpy mail type stuff. But yeah, we eat, we, we eat our own dog food for sure. But you don't, you don't recommend uh, those, uh, those kind of direct mail campaigns for just anybody. I mean, so listen, I mean, th that's understandable. 
because yeah. it, it apply, you know, listen, you got to use the right tool at the right time for the right situation. And, and if it's not right, you don't do it, but, uh, but by and large, you treat your, you treat your own self as a client. Yeah. We use Trello for our project management and Ballantine has its own Trello board with all the to do's and deliverables and the blog strategy and everything that, that goes into a typical client. How'd you guys learn how to use those tools? I mean, did you make it up as you go along or did you take a class? Do you teach a class? I mean, because those tools, one of the things that I find, you know, when we were all little, we all went to the library. They taught us to do a decimal system. You learn how to alphabetize things, put them in a folder. On the computer, though, every single one of us kind of made this up as we're going along. And, and, and there isn't really the same kind of standard like Dewey Decimal System for how your computer files work and how your Trello board works and how your Todoist to, to list works. And we've got a thousand different tools for different things. How, how did you guys figure out the systems and, you know, how you, how'd you get where you are? Yeah, this and this kind of goes back to one of the lessons I've learned in being in the family business is that you know you, everyone has their strengths and weaknesses, and I definitely know my strengths and my weaknesses, and so we just try to play to that. And so my one of my strength strengths is not operational stuff. My brother Scott, who joined the business in 2015, he came from a very operational financial background, very analytical mind, um, and he's good with the stuff. He enjoys it. And he kind of nerds out on it. So he's taken that over. He was the one that just to give you know, credit words do. He was the one that came up with Trello as using, using Trello as project management. He came from a large travel company that where they would use post-it notes and move, move the post-it notes over from like phase one to phase two, phase three. Trello was like the digitalized version of that. And so he basically set that all up and, and, um, you know, got us going on it. So I would say, you know, it's because of my brother, uh, Scott, he just has that operational mind. He's, he set up these little things that make us run smoother. He loves it. But he, he copied the old post-it note move yeah. from one box to another box kind of method, and which is what Trello feels like. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's interesting that, uh, that we all have to kind of make it up because there's no set system that we all just start doing. In a certain way, what's great about the tools is they're so flexible. But in a certain way, what's a problem about the tools is that they're so flexible. You know, yeah. it becomes sort of a, it's becomes sort of a beast maintaining them as well, especially as you get more clients and more boards and more cards. It, it's funny that we're talking about this now because I got the phone with our manager of digital services here, Larissa. And, you know, we, we, uh, we had a power outage today at work here. So everyone's working from home. And so she's using today because there's less distractions at home to cleaning up all the Trello boards because they were kind of getting out of hand a little bit. So she's going in there and kind of cleaning up everything. So it's, you know, there's pros and cons to everything got to maintain yeah. it. Yeah. So what do you, what do you guys see in the future? I mean, what, what trends are on the horizon? Uh, I mean, I, I look at trends. I, I look forward in time. What do you guys see for your business, for the industry, for the economy? You know, how are you guys organizing yourself for 2020 and beyond? Yeah, it's a good question. What we're trying to get more into on the digital side is video and, and photography. Uh, we have, um, we actually have all the fancy equipment now. We're doing more and more videos for clients and photos. So that's definitely top of mind for us on the digital side is uh, doing more videos and photos because you can use them for everything from uploading to YouTube to putting them on your website um, to running social media ads. It's something that you could just reuse and repurpose and it's definitely where things are going. So we're trying to make investments in that area. We're always trying to see like what we think we could do next and have a, have a, a fighting chance on doing well with it. And video and uh, video and photography is definitely top of mind for us there. Um, we're also doing more web development. That's important for us on the printing side. You know, it's just, it's, 
it's really just trying to find more clients. We already have a stable of vendors that we use from really high complex personalized stuff to more simplified stuff. So we have like the infrastructure there. It's just a matter of just keeping up the sales process and getting more clients and getting the right clients. But on the digital side, since this is more new for us, we're just looking for new things to get into and video and video and photography for sure. Another thing we're thinking more about is conversion rate optimization. So that's basically um, you're getting clients to your website. Okay, well, how do you get them to convert higher? Because that's ultimately what matters. And I think that's something that we haven't done enough of is conversion rate optimization. So I would say those are the two services that we're hot on right now. So the second one is really squeezing more juice out of the orange. I mean, that's really what you're talking about, right? Yeah, essentially. Like how do you, okay, we're driving all this traffic to a website. How do we get, how do we get the traffic to convert higher? Um, That's, I think it's obviously very important and something that it's a lot of, a lot of agencies don't do actually. There's a science behind it. We're trying to learn it more and more and do it for ourselves and do it for our clients. So I, th- I think in the next couple of years, two, three years, something that we're going to be doing more and more of. Where do you, where do you go to learn this stuff? I mean, how, how do you learn what you know? I mean, because it's changing all the time. Are there trade journals? Are there conferences? I mean, what, what do you do? Yeah. So, um, I'm always reading. Um, I'm not in a day to day in terms of execution, I'm more sales and strategy, but I'm in it. I mean, I'm kind of an info junkie uh, podcast and books. Um, we do professional training every month for the team and I get to pick topics. And so we'll, we'll do Google analytics. We'll do conversion optimization. So we do, we bring experts in to train the team, professional training. We send, um, we send the team to, tr- to conferences as well. In fact, four of them today are in New York city at a branding and social media conference, learning new things. So it's a matter of just staying on top of that, staying on top of the training and uh, obviously subscribe to all the newsletters, but you're right. It's, it's always changing. And it's, it can be overwhelming. I, I, I just have come to the, come to the grips where I'm not going to know everything. And it's, there's so much to know. You can't, you can't know everything. We just try to stay within what our core is and what our clients need the most. And then we just slowly expand that when it makes sense. Not, I, I try not to drink too much from a fire hose because it can be very overwhelming. Yeah. Hey, well, listen, man, this is, this has been very interesting. You're, you're an interesting person. Your, uh, your family, uh, several on several fronts has been very successful. One is, is keeping the family members, uh, organized so that they get along and, and you all have family dinners and Thanksgivings or whatever you have. Yep. Uh, second, that they made the transition, uh, that many companies were not successful in making, uh, in the eighties and nineties. And eventually when you came along into uh, digital marketing and, and listen, so you guys have done a great job and I appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you, Joel. Um, and, one more thing worth mentioning, yeah. uh, is just the culture of the company as well. I think that's something that people can take away from something from is just ma- being very deliberate about the culture that you create. Not that I'm saying we have a perfect, but we really, really do try to make an effort to make sure everyone enjoys coming here from quarterly events. Like we just did rock climbing to monthly lunches that the company pays for, to breakfast, birthday breakfast, everyone gets, um, that we pay for as well. Like we try to bring everyone together. I send out a weekly email highlighting wins and company news. And so it's a very deliberate approach and we've seen it help a lot with, in terms of keeping team members here happy, which means they don't leave to go anywhere else. They do a better job for the clients. It's just a better work environment. It's something we really believe in. So I think that's something that, uh, everyone listening to like being deliberate about the culture and it takes time. It, it takes a lot of effort. Um, but we're starting to see it really work out here. Listen, that's the inside track to, uh, to long-term success. What you're talking about is long-term for your family. The strategic initiatives are, are different than that. And, and I really applaud the, uh, the way that your family has adapted to, uh, to the new world because the world has changed so much. Right. Thank you very much for being on our show. I really appreciate you coming out and being with us and uh, for sharing the inside track on, uh, on Valentine. 
Thanks, Joel. Appreciate everyone listening. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the Inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 72000. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.